Hey, Gabe. Hey. What's going on, man? Um, a lot's going on, and I'm I need a beer. Well, conveniently, this show <laughs> it's about requires beer. us to, yeah. to have a beer. I love um, having a beer requirement for a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a couple of interesting ones today, and I think we're going to start it off with something that we haven't done yet, which is a lambic. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk about this lambic we've got here? Yeah. So this is the Lindemann's. I, I think this is the lambic that most people think of when they think of lambics. Correct. Uh, the Lindemann's framboise, with a raspberry um lambic it's uh i would put it in the category of like if somebody said i don't like beer what re- yeah. what beer do you recommend yeah, exactly. i would say this um because it tastes nothing like a beer it actually tastes kind of like a, a raspberry soda pop to me yeah it's really interesting i would have never have even put this in the beer category until i started learning about beers and lambics and what they are and stuff like yeah. that and um it's essentially um it's it's unmalted wheat, which is strange. Local barley, uh, raspberry juice, aged unmalted wheat, and airborne yeast. So mm. the, the brewers add no yeast. This is all just wild yeast that, that comes into the vats while it's fermenting. Yep. And um, I don't know. It, and that's it, kind of like what the what that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if not the region, but that like specific style. So a lambic can be pretty much any anything. In fact, I just I think we talked about it before. I had my first um lambic that I um that kind of caught me off guard as being like delicious but also not overly sweet, which was the pharaoh from them from yep. from Lindemans. Yeah, we talked about that. I'm yeah. still looking for it. It's in my shopping list. Yeah, so um yeah, that's like I think made with brown sugar or something like that. Uh but like that open barrel fermentation where I don't know in my head I picture there are like there 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 breweries up on the cliffs and there's just giant caves on the side of a cliff and in wild yeast blows in you know yep. during yeah, the which spring is, which is why it's interesting because um, you would think that the the flavors would be wildly different based on what's blowing around that day but uh, Lindemans has always been surprisingly consistent, consistent as far yeah. as flavor and and uh, and, and uh, texture and you know I I've, whenever I have it it is very much the same as I like I taste it and I'm like ah yes this is the stuff you know <laughs> well the, the weird thing is is now wild fermentation almost implies funk Right. right in, in like the American style, we always screw up styles here in the United <laughs> States. Right, we t- we take a consistent, well understood style and then totally change it and twist it. Um, so now, when I see wild on any kind of bottle, I think, oh, that's going to have some kind of funk or sourness. Some, Sometimes it does some unusual horse blanket flavors, um, yep. but you know, I think historically that wasn't the case and. And I think the reason that there's consistency there is once yeast starts propagating, you know, it it kind of competes out all other yeast strains in, in the area. Yeah. Um, and so you end up in a situation <clears throat> where you get yeast contamination in, in a way that's a good thing. Like you, you have the same yeast strain over and over, even though it's, it's brought in, you know, on the air, um, it's still the same strains over and over and over that you're fermenting with. Right, and and I you see a lot of different um, beers now that you'll see you know um, 
you know, where they say fermented with wild yeast. And generally, I don't know that that means they're completely fermented with wild yeast, but it means that they are probably just doing it in open vats. You know, there yeah. are a few of them that are pretty famous. I think Anchor Steam does um, open fermentation. And uh, there's a lot of them, like a lot of the Belgians do as well, um, <clears throat> which is, I don't know, y y you're right. I mean, I always think that they're going to, that you're going to end up with a sour. Um, it just sometimes just takes on different characteristics. And in the case of this Lambic, you know, I just find it very interesting that it's always so consistent mm. and I can't, I'm, I'm not going to stare at this any longer. Well, I, I think it. the the Lindemans also, as we're probably going to um, really <laughs> highlight, uh, they potentially disguise the sour, any sourness with lots of sugar. Yes. It says artificial. Oh, no. Natural sweeteners added. Yeah. So Lots of fruit and, juice. Yeah, fruit juice and, and maybe some sugar. I, I have to say, like, the aroma on this, my whole office smells like raspberries right now. Yep. Like, really, like, wonderful dessert-smelling raspberries. Yeah, the thing that I've found interesting about Lambics, and I've mentioned this in a previous show, um is they often, it's like um, like the archetype smell and taste of a raspberry. Because a lot of times, raspberries will be a little too tart or they'll be a little too sweet. Or you're, you're used to tasting like a raspberry jam or jelly, which is kind of like a cartoon version of a, of a raspberry. This is like when you, when you taste it, it's like that is the archetype flavor of raspberry, raspberries. Yeah. And it's, it's just so fantastic. There's a few um, really uh, good... Uh, United States Lambic makers, New Glarus. I don't know if you've ever found one of those. I had one mm -hmm. over at a friend's house. And they do a thing called Raspberry Tart, which is a um, their own take of it. And man, that I, that is the best Raspberry Lambic I've really? ever had. I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to look for that. I, I've had New Glarus stuff, but I've, I haven't had that. It's, it's, it's harder to come any by. Down here. It's harder yeah. to come by out of here. Yeah, they're a Midwest brewery, so it's mm -hmm. really hard to find them uh, out here on the East Coast. So yeah. um, if you've run across it, definitely pick it up because it's fantastic. Do you want okay. to taste this? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I really do. I mean, like it, it smells amazing. Wow. Holy smokes. Yeah, oh, that's smokes. so delicious. It's not it's got objectionable the tart. It's got a little way. tart finish to it, but up front it's like just this huge clobber of raspberry <laughs> yeah it's it's um so my wife uh when she started drinking beer as i've mentioned before very recently she didn't want to drink a raspberry lambic because she thought it was going to be like a fruit juice um and so she started with the lighter beers like the pilsners etc recently she had her first lambic and and told me that it was nothing like what she expected it would be like. Well, which and, one? And did, likes them or not? She, which she one tried did she have? We did. So we went to a um, a Belgian. Well, it's not a Belgian bar, but it's a bar uh, called the Bourgeoisie Pig, or the Bourgeois Pig, and it's in uh, the Lower East Side of New York. And they have um, mostly Belgian beers on their uh, mm -hmm. menu. And I had a framboise. And she got some sort of a, you know, interesting Belgian, maybe a Chimay or something like that. And she tasted the framboise there and she loved it. So we went to, I think they've got a cassis, which is also fantastic. They have a peach and they have the faro. I don't know if there's any others that, uh, that uh, Lindemans makes, but they've all been consistently great. 
um, if you're in the mood for this type of thing. And and I actually find I don't need to be. It's, I don't see it as a dessert beer or anything like that. I think actually it's a really good one to open up with because they're they're like four or five percent alcohol. They're not really strong. This is also one of the few beers that if I open it, my wife will always demand a glass of yes. it. And like then it goes me, it's away like really one quickly. of her favorites. Like as I was opening it for this show, I just went ahead and poured poured a glass and set it on the table there for her because I knew. <laughs> yeah, like, as soon as she smelled some. it, she'd be like, "Ah, oh, where is mine?" Yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to save some for for my wife too. So th- this one is actually a beer I have had in my cellar for about two or three years. So I've had, I've had this for quite a while and you can see sediment in the neck. I was actually storing it on its side. Mm. Um, Which is, oh yeah. So we should probably talk about that type of thing. So why would you put it on its side, Gabe? Oh, well, it's less, less of an issue now. It used to be you stored beers with corks on their sides and beers with metal caps vertical. And it was just, you know, the... You give it a chance to settle the yeast on the side of the bottle, so when you pour it, it doesn't like slosh all over. But also, um, it kind of keeps the cork moist, so it stays expanded, and and you don't because if the, if the cork dries out and shrinks up, you can get air gaps, and then you right. lose all your carbonation, and, and other it things turns happen. nasty. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. that was just like historically and maybe that's still true with like a Lindemans. I don't know. I don't know if they've changed their corks, but most modern corks now don't dry out that that easily. Um and with the metal caps it also doesn't kind of matter that much anymore whether you store them vertical or or on their side. Although I would I would argue that especially since we're getting into the realm of nano brewery for for being accessible to like anyone, you'd never know the quality of the caps that they're using. And the reason you don't store metal caps on their side is you don't want them to kind of like disintegrate and rust or like just add metallic flavor to the beer. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. In fact, you told me about that. I, I've never really, um, I never really had beer that I liked enough to buy enough and seller. Um, like, you know, and I don't consider just having a case of beer down in my basement cellaring, although obviously it is. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been an interesting, uh, 20 months or whatever with tap cellar because it is a, a lot of the focus, although it's not just that, but a lot of the focus is really on managing a cellar and understanding what you have and where you have it and how many you have and when you got it. And yeah, um, well, that was self-serving. Yeah. Honestly. That. Like, what but, do I know, want an app? Uh, this is, these are the features I want. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I tell people that, um, we basically decided on the exact beer app that we wanted to use. And then we just made that app. So it makes sense that that was built in. And, I found that now that now that I'm using it more, I don't mind doing the cellaring as much because now I it, it's really easy for me to know what I have. Yeah, you know what and, you have. That's yeah. all, that's always the catch. And and I I still think we have room for improvement even even in that front for cellaring. But um, I have been cellaring for oh I would say close to ten years now. I've been cellaring beers. Like, n- not 10-year-old beers, but um, I've been maintaining a cellar of beers for probably 10 years or at least of, of you know, buying more than I intend to immediately consume and then storing it. And, yeah. And I, uh, it's, it's been an interesting 10 years because my preference for cellaring has really changed over time. 
Well, that's interesting because I, um, I'm thinking back as to why I never did more of it. And there's, there's two reasons. One is for a while there, um, I was living in an apartment and it's really obviously hard to still be in an apartment because of the temperature issue and space and all that. And then when we were, uh, in a house, it was a small house. So I didn't really have enough room to put them. There were no room for shelves to keep them, you know, whether they were up or on their size, it didn't really matter. Um, where it started happening more was, and we'll, I, we're going to touch on this in a, in a future show, which is home brewing. I built a um, keyser, which is a freezer turned into a keg machine, um, and there was a lot of extra blank space around the kegs. So I started buying extra bottles of beer and kind of stashing them around. <laughs> I got to fill the space. I got to <laughs> fill it up somehow. Um, <laughs> It's so, just uh, a requirement. <laughs> and we're keeping it cold this. anyway. Yeah. You might as well. So, um, yeah, I started doing that. And then when we moved to this house, we have an entire basement um, that's big and it's dry, uh, more or less. It's kind of a little damp, but, you know, compared to other basements I've had, it's fairly dry. And a um, ton of room. So we have a, a table that we can have um, bottles on their side. I have shelves that I can keep beer on. I have uh, the Keyser is down there. So I have that's kind of jammed packed with uh, beers. And the other thing that's helpful about Tap Cellar is that I don't, when I'm keeping beers cold in the Keyser, they tend to get layered. So it's hard for me to know what's down at the bottom. <laughs> and keep yeah, so I always know exactly what I've got when I, when yep. I do it. So. Yeah, that, that's, that's a big one. It's just even knowing what you have. It can be a real pain. Um, which is, which I think is, is kind of what we wanted to talk about today. Yep. Is yeah. is this um, what well, we you know we had that whole conversation about uh, you know scrounging for beer, <laughs> like going out and like getting as much as you can of a certain certain beer because it's rare, right? Or because yeah. it has some implied value um, greater than the purchase price, and and I think that that. Like the the natural extension from that is is what we, we said we wanted to talk about is hoarding, right? yeah, yeah, hoarding. hoarding in general. Not not hoarding because like I'm better than you. I have this thing. Like I think that's how we were talking about the hoarding of beer because you you could trade it or you can just like be proud that you have, you know, you have the stock of of this rare thing. Um, but more of the cellaring where say I go out and I buy a bunch of bunch of beer and i put it in my cellar and i keep it there for who knows how long years you know something in some cases many years in the case of like a barley wine or or um sierra nevada's bigfoot or something like that right um you can store that i don't even know if there's an expiration date because of the high alcohol yeah um but you know extending that is also um in into the other areas of my life is it has not been good like I have a seller of computer cables. <laughs> oh my god! I have I have, a, I have a, like in my network closet. I have this uh, pegboard where where I hang all kinds of cables, like mm-hmm. you you name it, like HDMI to almost anything. I have a connector for it. Like I have a cable that will connect those things. Do you have more than one to do that? Do you have um, more than one to do the same thing. I try. I've I've actually like 
been more aggressively cutting back on that of going in saying like, nope, I only need one 30 pin connector, like USB to 30 pin connector. Cause I only yeah, have, I, we have one device in our house that still has the 30 pin connectors. So yeah, I'm, I, I did that with that. USB cables where I went through this period where, um, you know, you have a lot of devices, you accrue things over time and I never wanted to throw away a cable just in case like this one might go bad or I might, you know, want to keep one in a bag or I might get some device that I need to plug in someday and I want to make sure I had the cable. So before we moved, um, I decided to take a cold, hard look at this, these boxes of cables that I've been keeping. And I think I had like 50 just regular old USB cables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? So I just, I basically kept one of each connection type and that was it. Like I, and I, there was just yards and yards of cable that were completely unnecessary. It was the same thing. I had an audio studio and just, it felt like miles of cable that I was storing in this bag. There's just no reason to keep that but much. But there's that, that psychology of like, I know if I throw this away, then I'll need it, and then I'll have to buy a replacement. And that because will just, that happens a lot. That will just <laughs> chap my ass so much that I have to rebuy a you know, USB female to female. For whatever reason, I would need that. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, uh, that, that use case will come up. Um and I've definitely had that happen since I started like trying to be better. Like my 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 pegboard has actually really thinned out over the past year because I'm in this mindset of like I may want to move in the next few years. And so I'm going from being like happy homeowner where I could just save everything because I have space in at in attics, you know, in, in network closets to I'm going to have to actually put this in a box and carry it to a truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so or, do I want to keep that thing? Yeah, um, and I'm very – well, we were moving – even though we were moving from a smaller house to a bigger house, I didn't want to move stuff we didn't need. So I was definitely thinking the same along the same lines. And, you know, it, it paid off actually because we don't have an attic or a basement full of junk that – yeah, we. I, I did this. So, okay, speaking of hoarding, I used to collect magazines, uh, wired. I had every wired from like issue one up to, you know, fair, fairly recent years. And, you know, it wasn't so much that I loved the magazine anymore so much as I had every, every issue since number one and I need to keep getting them. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually I stopped because I just didn't have time to read them and I put them in these boxes and I would uh, when we moved from one de- uh, apartment to the house, um, I boxed them up and I labeled them, and we they went straight into the attic. Um, and then when we moved this time, I basically said, if there's a box that is still taped up from the last time we moved, we're getting rid of it. Like yep. there's no there's no point, you know. Um, and so I ended up getting rid of. I had a lot of I had a lot of game stuff, like yep. board game stuff that was just, you know, I couldn't. I just even just like old video games. Like I I was was just up in the attic and I was like, I have the Rome Total War box from for a (laughs) Windows machine. (laughs) When are you gonna install? I was like, what am I doing with this? And and you know, I immediately identified like probably five boxes of stuff I need to get rid of. Um, But but you bring up a good one with the with the magazines. I collected I collected chemistry journals. (laughs) <laughs> for a really did. long time. Um, and initially, the reason I collected them was because I was like, okay, well, someday I'm going to 
maybe go into academics and having access to this stuff is actually actually does have a value because you have to pay for subscriptions to get access to journals. So owning them yourself um, was really valuable. And journals actually are incredibly expensive, like to actual actually subscribe and buy journals each year. Hundreds of dollars a year in replacement volumes are uh, like one journal is, you know, $25 to buy a replacement. Oh, really? For one issue. And you get you get probably one issue a week with some journals. So just calculate how much a whole year would be if wow. you were to buy a whole year's worth. So I had dragged these I had moved them from California to Boston when I came out for grad school. And we are talking dozens of boxes oh of, my God. of these. And kept them all organized. I knew what I had exactly. I didn't have any gaps in it. Like I had a better collection than many libraries, but there came <laughs> sure a time where I had to quickly move out of a house that was being lived in by my soon to be ex-wife. Okay. And I, I was just like, <laughs> you know what? Don't need I'm this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just get rid of all this stuff. And, well, and it was, it was like, I kept actually I kept it for a little while at, at my new place, but I literally lived like one of those people from Hoarders, surrounded by journals. Yeah, like boxes and boxes of journals stacked in a bed in the middle of it. When and did you have that uh, that epiphany that that you didn't need all of those things, or you should make your bed out of journals? Well, they they put it all online, and like once uh, that happened, that pretty much immediately reduced the value for any sane person to to well, maintain a physical collection of them. Here's an interesting kind of a sidebar, but it is very related to this whole hoarding and storage and um, kind of future proofing or, you know, things like that. So I was uh, at a family function recently and I have an uncle who is a, uh, he used to be a beat writer for a newspaper and then he wrote for a few sports websites, um, big ones, and he writes books about hurricanes and things like that. So he he's kind of does some science stuff. He really loves baseball, so he writes about baseball. And he was saying um, how frustrated he gets that the the formats that he used to have no longer open on his computers. So <laughs> Because he used to have... You know, in the old days, a huge set of journals or encyclopedias yep. or things like that because he wanted to be able to refer back to those when he was writing articles or whatever. Then it went to online. So then he had huge spindles of CDs that mm-hmm. had this information on that he could search and use. But as the years would go by, they would be created in these proprietary pieces of software that would no longer install. Um, they wouldn't be using future-proofed versions and so his frustration wasn't so much like, why don't my computers work like they used to? It was more like it opened the, the, the Pandora's box of what is really going to be usable of this information 20 years from now. Right now we're enjoying this period of time where internet information is free, more or less. You know, you, you, There's a lot of information online. It might not be free, but there's things that you can get your hands on. But, you know, with the way things are headed with net neutrality and all these things, what if you can't get a hold of these pieces of information as freely as you could before? And those journals that you're like, eh, they're online, I'll just Google it and find it. What if that stops or is behind a gate or something? Yeah, like- I, think, I think that's almost like 
creating a, a a fear that doesn't need to exist in order to justify the collecting. And in, in my mind, there, there's lots of <laughs> there's lots of information that has gone away. That, that maybe somebody has a copy somewhere, maybe they don't. Um, you know, great great libraries have burned to the ground that contained original works and we managed humankind managed to move forward i really don't see that as a scenario that like suddenly i don't know there'll be a solar flare that wipes out all i mean computers, i was, so I was kind of arguing your side so yeah you know don't get me wrong i mean i was mu- very much like you no, know I've, I've, heard, I've heard the argument i want to own it because then i don't have to worry about it going away online and i honestly i do feel that way sometimes but not enough to want to keep my house filled with that stuff. Yeah, I think that's kind of where it comes. It is down. a shame libraries seem to be going going away or or modernizing and becoming essentially like a kiosk of computer terminals. Um, because I do think there is some value there to have those physical copies. On the other hand, as a as a student, once it was all available electronically, I didn't want to go to the stacks. I didn't want to go browse through the stacks to look at journals. That was a pain. I like to go to the library and hang out and, and, and read. Um, but it was a pain to actually find what I wanted in the stacks and, you know, spend a half an hour trying to find what you want and then find out that one volume is missing. You know, <laughs> that was pretty, pretty crushing. Yeah. I, or, or you would, um, like I used to love books, used to have a lot of books, comic books, books of all kinds. And, um, Boy, I really divested myself of those. As I, as every time I moved, I would say over the last seven or eight years, I would get rid of certain things. And, uh, see, and books that's one I'm having things. a hard time with, and especially with my wife. She's much more of a like a book holds value beyond just you reading it. Yeah, my and wife we have too. lots of books like that. I mean, I used to collect first of all. I have a bunch of first of all, first edition Vonnegut books. Like they're probably worth some good money. I haven't looked, but. They're sealed away in some plastic bins up in an attic because I was really into collecting, like, the trophy reading. The, see that bookshelf? I've read all those. I know all of these books. Yeah, I mean, I, I boy, it's a tough one because I, it, I basically at one point said it is very, it sort of goes back to what we talked about with Plex. It is very unlikely that I'm going to have the time to watch that entire thing twice. It's very unlikely I'm going to have the time to read this book, which I barely had time to read once a second time because there's so much other stuff on my stack. So I started really, um, and maybe not always for the better, but certainly mercilessly uh, saying, I don't need these books. I, you know, and, and so they just go to. It's really hard though, huh? To yeah. like that, that, that <laughs> setting that bin in the donation box, like setting yeah. a bin of books down in the donation area and like the drop off at a library and getting back in your car and driving away. Like you just left your child somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. We, uh, my wife likes science fiction and she gets a lot of these, you know, just kind of cheap paperbacks. Yeah. And when, when we moved in together, um, she just brought box after box after box of these books. And I'm like, you are never going to read these kind of marginally readable <laughs> novels again. And she did prove me wrong a few times. She did keep a few and then reread them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think eventually she came around to the fact that a lot of that stuff, like 90% of it, she wasn't going to touch again. There's, there's some nice, there's some nice things there though with collecting. I do really enjoy picking up an old book that I read and I, uh, 
dude, I was, you think I'm a nerd. You don't know, know half of it. I used to like <laughs> write on little slips of paper, like what I thought about like the certain aspect of the storyline as it was unfolding the book and slip into the pages and leave it there. Cause I own the book. And then if you go back and you open up my books and flip them, you'll find these little notes. You'll find little dates written on things of when I read it. As opposed like, to like writing in the margins and yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't like to write on the books. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not a huge so, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, that's kind of fun. Like that nostalgia of going back and looking like, I remember when I read this book, I was in this place at this time, this was going on in my life. And this, this book, I remember like it had this impact on the way I thought about things. Like that's actually really enjoyable. And my wife is more like the, well, we're going to hand these down to our kids someday. And this is like, she's going to look at these, these represent my parents. Like this is what my parents read. My, my mom liked Ursula Le Guin, had every Ursula Le Guin book. My dad mm. really liked Kurt Vonnegut, read every Kurt Vonnegut thing. Um, mm. like yeah, that, that's an, boy, that really opens up a can of worms for me, though. <laughs> well, yeah, because, because that's the argument I'm having with her. I'm like, are we saving the kind of socks that we like? So she's her <laughs> kind of socks daddy wore? You know, like, yeah, where do you draw the line? Right? Yeah, it's like, I don't know that she's going to care about daddy's Kurt Vonnegut collection by the time she's an adult. Sure, Kurt Vonnegut will age okay, um, but... By the time she's an adult, she's probably going to have this completely different relationship to books. Well, and those books will have different meaning and context for the when she reads them and all that kind of stuff too. And and I think also, boy, it's it's just such a big topic for me. And maybe this is some of the the Buddhism stuff, but that I think about. But it's like the the objects they don't have for me anyway. I don't look at, um, I don't see a lot of value, and this just could be totally a quirk of my personality, but looking at a book and saying, oh man, I remember wistfully in high school I was reading this book because, I don't know, it just, it doesn't carry that same um, uh, I, I, memory I put memory that kind of, of value on, on objects, just, be, just for like the trigger. It's the trigger for the memory. It's not, not the book holds its memory and it's like, I can look at like, you know, catch the my catcher in the rye book from high school and know like this was in my backpack when I was like trying to get this girl to go out with me in high school, right? <laughs> like that whole like, oh yeah, I remember. And then I would go sit and I'd read over here and like this was that whole thing. And it's more of like the book itself doesn't have to contain the value, but its value is that trigger for your memories. Mm-hmm. Like photos. yeah, I guess I've Photo- been going... photographs are the same, right? You, yeah, you keep photos of your family, and I go back and forth around the 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 value at a, at a general level of that of those memories. This is a much more philosophical yeah. discussion, but so it's like you know the photographs. Um, photographs, I think, are interesting because people not not hoard them, but they collect them, they keep them, they want to keep them safe. I keep, I try and keep my photographs safe, especially fact, now that they're digital and they take up yeah. like no storage space. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have like know. tens of thousands of photos now. Yep, and there's like fifteen of basically the same photo, yeah, and I right. don't think of to go back and edit. But it's funny because I almost feel like in, at times the photographs replace our memories of the things that happened. I find myself looking at pictures of myself as, as a kid, um, which was, you know, a yeah. thousand years ago. And I've looked at those pictures since they've been taken and they have actually replaced 
Like, I don't remember anything about that day. Right. What was your, happening, your memory whatever. is more like, man, that must have been super fun. <laughs> yeah, Whereas exactly. when you were actually living it, you're like, God, I hate this vacation. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I have the same level of maybe skepticism towards my memories for things that memories attached to objects, too. And so as I started thinking more along those lines, the books, like the, the memory of having that book and where I was and where I read it meant much less to me because it felt like, I was, I don't know, it's just this weird misdirection or indirection. And so when I got rid of a lot of those books, I found that a year from, year after that, it's like I didn't, I was was more thinking, why did I keep those for so long? Why did they go from apartment to house to apartment to house um, in sealed boxes? You know, that's the other thing. Like, they, yeah, I, they yeah. rarely, <laughs> I was certainly just, never got read. No joke. I was literally just up in my attic before this, this show looking for, um, I have a bunch of these, like, little beer books that each one's about a style, right? And I wanted to pull those back out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I remember I have, like, the Porter and, like, all these different styles up there. And as I'm looking through the attic, I'm like, are you kidding me? We have... 25 plastic bins that are sealed with zip ties and they have been sealed for seven years <laughs> and they're i'm looking through them. i have found my first gen apple tv why oh do i have gosh. my first gen apple tv in the attic well part of the reason is just frankly i don't even know how to go about getting rid of some of this stuff yeah i, I i'm staring at an old time capsule that has a non-working drive and the airport doesn't work and it's been sitting oh, on that top so shelf. So it's a plastic brick. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a dust collector. And yeah. I don't know really how to best dispose of it. Because it, if somebody did resurrect the drive, it would have everything that I had at the time. Well, drives digitally. I don't have any problem with. <clears throat> I am I, I take an unnatural satisfaction in getting rid of bad drives. I, I take out my drill yep. with a giant drill bit and drill the hell out of that drive. <laughs> and then, then I I might throw, do that throw with it this. in the recycling bin. I don't know if it's completely recyclable but <laughs> that, that's what i do with it yeah um, that it's might probably be. not recyclable actually i should probably stop doing that i, I definitely want to do that with this thing because i'm tired of looking at it but you know there's a there's just a lot of stuff that um are that just accrues over laziness and you know i look at it it, it kind of becomes part of the furniture i'm just looking now casting my eyes around my office and i saw that but it was basically invisible to my eyes until about two minutes ago because, you know what I mean? Like yep. it, it's been there for a year now and it got put on that shelf when we moved in and I haven't given it a moment. I have, I have three iPhones sitting here in front of me that aren't being used at all. That, yeah. that I keep telling myself, <clears throat> I should sell those. Like they still have value to someone. I should sell them and get rid of them. And get out, but I never get around to it. Yeah. Be- or you think, well, what if my current phone dies and I need a backup? That's my <laughs> yeah, thinking always. Yeah. <laughs> that, that artificial reasoning for keeping something. Again, yeah. that, that crops up of like this fear of of being deprived of something. Being like this fear of, of wasted value. Um, that definitely like I have a gaming PC I built ten years ago in my attic. Can you can you even explain to me what the value of a gaming PC from 10 years ago would be right now? It's less than zero. Yeah. It is. So, but honestly, I don't want to do a garage sale. Garage sales are, oh, my, my hourly rate is too high to do a garage sale. Yeah, my, me <laughs> like, either. I, I couldn't do it. I don't really like selling things on eBay for the same reason. Um, I'll, I'll sell things to friends if they're interested or I'll give things to people. But I generally don't like going through the process of 
packing and selling, negotiating, shipping, uh, you know, shipping, <laughs> shipping and then the pain in the butt when things happen in shipping and you, mm-hmm. you know, that, that indecision. Um, yeah, there's a lot there that I, I don't so, like. You know what I was. did? I got rid of maybe 10 bins or boxes full of like tech stuff, like keyboards, mice, uh, gaming controllers. The way I got rid of it is I put it in bins out in front of my house with a sign that said free. Oh, that's a good way to do and it. And it was like, I turned my back and <laughs> I turned back around. Everything was gone. Yeah. Including the bins. <laughs> like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure other people just came by and they're like, you know, they're still, they still haven't reached that point of, right. I won't use this. Or they maybe they just, just turn like, around and sell it. Maybe, maybe, maybe they are a professional reseller. That is definitely a thing in the area that I live in. People, Go pick up stuff, and then they have perpetual garage sales. Yeah, I, I um, I can't. I used to do that in my old neighborhood. I couldn't do it here. <laughs> There's just not enough. It's you know, it's mostly farm equipment, and you know, people who aren't. <laughs> I don't get many people. People are just driving through my yep. neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. looking for stuff to pick up. Unless they're on Harley's. Harley's, yeah, or or triumphs as i learned last night at a party there's a i met some strangers at a party last night uh well they weren't strangers to my wife but they were to me and he was saying oh boy you know he loves to ride a motorcycle this guy and we're like oh really where's your favorite place to ride he's like oh there's this place out you know he basically described my neighborhood i'm like (laughs) you're one of those guys yeah you're the guys Um, that drive by when i'm podcasting (laughs) and he got a look on his face he's like yep that's probably me um yeah when I was, I guess, when computer gaming got big and I was younger and maybe less, um, I guess, aware of copyright law, let's say, um, I would download <laughs> a lot of games. That's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> less aware. Uh, I would download tons and tons of games just because they would be there and I could download it and I'm like, hey, this looks good. So I recently, that was one of those things that just moved from house to house to house. And I realized that I had like several spindles, entire spindles crammed with games and installers and stuff. There was probably, I don't know, a thousand games on there. And none of them were games I wanted to play. In fact, none of them were games I even installed. It was, that was my hoarding back then. I just wanted it to have it just in case. Same, Same way. Well, uh, because as a kid, it also had value for trading, right? To say like, well, I have these games I can trade with you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that was that was definitely a thing when I was a kid. No, it was for me too, and I. But I think. It, but it, it took effort to acquire too. It so acquire to <clears throat> took skill and effort to acquire, mm-hmm. and it had some sort of intrinsic value and trade value. But in but it, there became a point where it was like, I, I don't trade these. I don't do anything but download them and keep them and put them on a DVD. There's no Mm -hmm. reason to do this. So I think I've done that same kind of divestiture or divesting of, of that type of, I don't know, implied value for a lot of stuff over the last five years. And, you know, part of it is the moving part of it is trying to put less of a, we talked about it last week, more of a um, focus on getting good things and, fewer bad things yeah. and just fewer things in general. Um, so, yeah. so let's turn this back around towards beer. Yes. A little bit here. Um, and cellaring. 
So, you know, when I started cellaring was maybe around the time when I could afford to buy good beer. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Yep. And, uh, you know, there was this sense of, well, if I don't get it now, I may not find it again later, number one. And number two, I might want to share it with somebody or have a, have a party and be able to bring out like this great beer. Um, and that started me super slowly into like, I would stock up on maybe uh hop devil. Mm -hmm. I'd buy like a case of hop devil and that wasn't really cellaring. It was just like keeping it around for when people came over and I didn't, you know, I wasn't really like super into, into beer that much at that point. Um, but then it kind of like, as I learned more, I was like, Oh, well this ages really interestingly, like it changes and becomes this different thing. And I want to know what that, what happens to that. And then I got into like really stupid experiments of like, <laughs> Taking taking IPAs and aging them for like years and seeing and then like comparing year after year as they aged and being like yeah it does really turn crappy <laughs> after a while wow yeah they didn't lie um, which is one of your maxims here uh, don't age white wine don't age hoppy beers yeah it's it but I I you know I taught myself that and that, that's fine I don't feel like that was a wasted effort it was definitely wasted money. Do you, want to, do you want to save people some effort and tell them what it tastes like when you age an IPA? Yeah, like cardboard. Tastes like uh, dirty wet paper. <laughs> really? It's, yeah. No, it, I mean, it. it's not so much... I mean, good IPAs will age to a point where they kind of just taste malty, and a lot mm -hmm. of the hot flavor disappears. You may still get bitterness based on how say, they were yeah. hopped. Yeah, you probably retain um, a lot of that bitter, bitterness. If, if they were hopped, maybe like the old-fashioned way where they just threw in the hops at the beginning of the boil and boiled the hell out of them and, and turned everything to a, like a bitter beer. It will probably still be pretty bitter a couple of years later, but you'll, you, you're likely to get some off flavors, um, as it, as it gets older. Um, but anything that has like what we now refer to as like a double IPA where it's like super hoppy, but really green hoppy flavor like a lot of pine and a lot of citrus and grapefruit, all that dies and goes away. And you're left with the sugar and a, a bunch of malt flavors usually. And the bitterness isn't so much there in those because they didn't, they don't have those bitter components. They didn't really, they put the hops in at the end to, right. to give it that real fresh flavor. Right. And, and that gives it the, the nose, which is the yeah. first thing that kind of just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, it, and, you know, the nose, the, the smell of the beer is the first thing to go, even on pretty fresh beers. And you'll see it. Um, I think we talked about Hetty Topper. Everybody always says, drink it drink fresh, it drink fresh, it fresh. Yeah. Um, and it is that way with a lot of uh, IPAs. It's funny when we're talking about having beers that we want to have with friends. Our neighborhood um, has some beer nuts in it. And we're actually going over to one of their houses for dinner tonight. And it's interesting, they don't sell her at all. Their idea of sharing beer is they will go out and buy growlers of beer from different breweries in the area and then say, we need somebody to come help us drink this fresh yeah, beer. Yeah, but you have the advantage of having that near you. I don't <laughs> yeah, have that. So, exactly. so, for example, I drove 25 miles yesterday to go to a beer shop, to, wow. to go to a specific beer shop that had... Um, harder to get New Hampshire, Vermont beers. Um, that's a that's a lot of work 
to go all the way out there. That's a commitment to do that. Right. And so when I'm there, I'm like, man, I really want to, you know, they they have a bunch of great beer. I want to buy a bunch of it. And I really had to hold myself back. Like, no, no, you don't need this. In fact, I'm in this mode now of like, I'm trying to slowly purge my cellar in preparation for like, when you move, you don't want to move beer. It's hard. Yep, I'll right. be over. I'd um, love to help you deal with that horrible problem. Yeah, you've got. that terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible problem. But now I'm like slowly trying to like force myself to drink through these these beers that I've been living. Like, oh, this is a 2009 of this. Oof. I really don't want to like. Well, I don't want to just pop it on a Wednesday. Like, what's right. the special occasion? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because I I um, I'm the same way. Uh, and I, there have been periods, even last year, I would say, because we were working on tap cellar and uh, we were testing out the cellaring features. And I did have a few beers that were rotating in and out of the basement. In fact, some of them I still have. And I, um, you know, the, the six point high res, I'm looking forward to opening some of that this season because it's a year old now and I want to see what happened with it. Um, right now I have 36 different kinds of beer in my basement. Um, mainly because I, for my birthday or gifts, people give me like a mix six pack of different things. Yeah. So I have a lot of different kind of interesting things that people said, Oh, I, you know, I bet he's never, never had this one before. So there's a lot of like disparate types of beers. Some of these have never been tasted. They're not rated at all. They're just, they're just in there until I get well, to them. So, so what kind of styles do you feel? Okay. Celery. <sighs> well, I think the ones What's that your rule, I, mister? I don't want to put value yeah. on things. <laughs> the, the, <clears throat> so uh, the things that I'm okay with keeping longer um, are, uh, I would say, double IPA and above and stouts. And then there's a few beers. Um, well, I guess it still falls into that category of um, White Monkey, which is the Golden Monkey brewed in white wine. Mm -hmm. barrels mm -hmm. um they sold that for aging so um i'm okay with letting that sit because they said it's going to be good i have a v12 which is a um yep. victory's uh, you know high alcohol content belgian so i'm going to leave that uh leave that down there for a while Yeah, belgians tend to, to age well um yeah mostly, so it, mostly because they're already malty there's not a, hot, a lot of hop flavor to them and they're usually higher alcohol right um, and so I think everything else is going to go. Uh, I want to drink these Saisons. I'll probably drink the IPAs first. Um, and uh, they're probably in order of the, the lower alcohol IPAs all, you know, and leave the triple IPAs to last. So the Dirt Wolf that I have down there, this leftover from a previous party that we had, I have about a half a case left. That'll probably go fairly late because I know that ages pretty well. Um, and uh, I found saisons get uh, kind of bland. Yeah. In in, in my experience, yeah. As I, they I age. Think, um, what did we say? The Orval. They said drink by mid twenty fifteen, right? Yeah. So I don't think that's a that's not a big aging type of beer either. I've noticed that the my the Orvals that I've had that have been older have much less character to them as well, or just a very different character. The Brett kind of takes over, which is not exactly what I like in the Orval. Um, but Although that's, I, I have a Chimay that's, I think it's a, around 20 years old on my shelf. What? Yeah, it was given to me as a wedding gift. Holy crow. And it's what, you know, it's almost like 
don't do this to me kind of gift. Yeah. Because now I'm like, what event yeah. is significant enough you. to drink a 20-year-old bottle of beer? Yeah, it puts you in this weird position, I think, when you're saving stuff. Like, I didn't like even drink res- it when my kid was born. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh no, I'll sa- I'll save it. I'll save it for like maybe when she gets married or so, you know. And then she gets married, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna uh, no, wait no, till no, they have their first retirement. kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually, well, I'm handing it down to her with my Vonnegut books. <laughs> She's like, why the hell did you leave me all this crap, Dad? It sounds like you sounds like you're telling me you're gonna drink it tonight. Uh, no, after <laughs> no. a few dirt wolves, you're gonna lose all sense of right and wrong mm. and drink that thing. Well, it, it could be completely terrible now i don't know well so uh, the the cellaring also creates this intrinsic value i remember reading a uh a post on a forum where a guy had uh, a roommate move in that they didn't know him that well and uh they went away for the weekend to go to some they were huge beer collectors had an amazing beer cellar and they came back and outside and the roommate was asleep and they couldn't wake him up and outside on their um picnic table were all of their beers lined up that were in their basement that the guy just thought was beer to drink and it was like six thousand dollars worth of beer (laughs) that he drank (laughs) over the weekend with his friends wow Probably each one going, man, this is terrible beer. <laughs> exactly. This is sweet. Why didn't we get the case of Coors Light? Because if he didn't appreciate like what that was, that it was a beer seller, then most likely he also didn't and appreciate good beer. Didn't appreciate that it, you know, what it what it should, should taste like. Yeah, that, that's awful. They kicked him out, but, but you know, he's never going to be able to pay that back. But ima- so he posted that picture, and everybody on the forum just lost it because man. there there were beers that are literally impossible to find like yeah, they're just yeah. not for sale anywhere mm-hmm. um so you know when you say well that collection's six thousand dollars worth of beer it obviously wasn't when it was bought so that uh, so how do you place value in the shime bottles a good uh, one. that's that's market driven there's no way you can you can know that but do you do you put that value on it, or because we talked? I in the used path. to record purchase price and stuff like that, and then I got to a point where I just don't. It wasn't an important piece of data because it didn't change anything about what I did with that beer. Well, Maybe if I was a different kind of like person that traded beer, or you know, I'd need to know what it was worth um, for a trade. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going with this. Is so you don't think about it that way. You don't think about okay, this bottle of Bourbon County um, Stout is worth you know one of the is is worth you know three no. of the worth of Cantillon. Actually, what I I look at it like if I go speaking of Bourbon County, if I go look at my Bourbon County on my in my cellar, um, I will look at what will stand out to me are the gaps in the years that I have <laughs> of like not the value of the collection, but like I have a two thousand. 13 2014 2012 i don't have a 2011 you know so, like so would you pay more for no, 2011 okay no i i've definitely reached that point where um the beer market's changed you can find the most amazing beer at almost any halfway decent bottle shop but but do you um boy this is a really good thing though that i get stuck on a lot is what makes you drink one of those saved beers versus not and when is the occasion correct because i hate being in that position of saying like the high res is that now 
well, I waited a year. Should I just wait two years and see if it's different? Should you know, I drink two? You know, two it was and- off, awesome. Making the decision that I didn't want to keep my cellar longer than about another year, another year and a half, because I want to to be prepared to be able to move and not have to deal with the beer piece. And I've actually just really been enjoying like, oh, you know what? I have this Brooklyn Black Ops I've had for a couple of years. I'm just going to have it. Wow, this is great. This is really enjoyable. (laughs) Like it's, It's nice. And when it's gone... I'm not like, ah, oh, man, I can't believe I no longer own a Brooklyn Black Ops yeah, so you're not from like that. 2013, you know, or whatever. Well, it's funny because they, you know, you, uh, damn your eyes, got me using Field Notes books. And um, so I was listening to the Pen Addict podcast and um, uh, Brad uh, collects field notes as well, and he had all of these different, you know, special editions and whatever. And he kind of reached that point that we're talking about now with beer, where he said, you know, what is the point of having these notes in a in a you know shrink wrap? Like they're meant to be used. I'm going to use them. And he used one of these, you know, butcher orange. Like they don't, they obviously don't make them anymore and they're really hard to find. They're really, you know, they are given a lot of value by people who value those things. Yeah, people buy them on eBay, right? Yeah. And he used it and everybody, you know, they, they, they collapsed on their fainting couch, <laughs> couches because, because he was using it. And it's, it's this thing where it's like, if, if I don't import this, um, value to this thing that other people are importing to it, like it just becomes a simple object that I can use and what if you just treat everything that way? Like, you know, what uh, if some, this... th- some things are just fun, right? Some things are enjoyable. You, you do it because they do give you enjoyment. And, and collecting is a, is a lot like that, right? Mm. Collecting things doesn't have to be about its intrinsic value, but just the satisfaction of knowing that you have a, a complete quote. Com- I'm doing air quotes, if you can't see it, uh, <laughs> a complete set of something, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's that its own big... satisfaction right there, knowing that you have a complete set or that you have your OCD is satisfied in other ways. I have all of these things, whatever they happen to be, field notes, bourbon County stouts, they're all lined up according to my OCD, <laughs> and, you know, characteristics of the year that they were produced or, you know, quality or what, whatever it happens to be. Maybe it's record albums or, yeah, man, I um, used to be super nutso about C- my CD collection. Yeah, right. I guess I used to be too. And I, I guess uh, it, I'm just a, a, a weird bird that way. I have tried so hard over the last 10 years, I guess, to put no value on those types of collecting and complete sets. Mainly, maybe it's just a reaction because I know how I could be about it if I let it. Because I used to have comic book collection, record collection, CD collection, um, game collection, Um I used to collect a lot of different stuff, and I I just found I just got too into the the, the having stuff. It's the 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 completist mentality yeah. that that was really um, powerful for me. It was it was definitely almost like an addiction. Like I would be like, I need, <laughs> I know you'll hold this against me. I need every release that Depeche Mode has ever had, ever. That was me. <laughs> Like in the 90s, right? Yeah. I had to have every European release, Japanese re- release, everything. And it was not so much that... And, and, you know, honestly, the difference between many releases are just the order that the tracks are in. 
Oh, really? Right? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's yeah. not even that they have different songs. It's like they have some different artwork, maybe, if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, the tracks are just in a different order. Maybe there'll be one extra song. Um, but it was more of like the knowing that my collection was complete thing that was the driver. And I wasted so much money on that kind of stuff. And in looking back over my life, I could probably have retired a decade ago. <laughs> if, I hadn't, <laughs> if I hadn't blown money on all these different things that were really probably some type of psychological defect driving yeah. me. Yeah, I, I'm right there. And I feel like I have uncovered that psychological defect for me. And I feel like I was liberated when I stopped doing it. But it's interesting because my, then you, you just find something new, honestly. Yeah, it's, you it's, do. It um, is one of those things that you could say, like, if it's part of you, it's you're, it's always going to manifest in every every new thing that you, you know, like, I'm, st- I'm still that way. When I get into a subject, like when I'm going to learn a new computer programming language or something like that, right? We are very much alike. Buy a bunch of books, buy a bunch of like instruction materials and then get them all, right? Mm -hmm. And and then (laughs) then I'm like, well, honestly, I haven't finished the one. Yeah. (laughs) And really what I should do is not buy another book until I finish the first one. My my wife has now gotten used to this happening but i you know i just get into things like that i guess about a year ago i got got into chess i've been playing chess for a while and i'm like i'm gonna get good at chess like i'm not just gonna play it i'm gonna get good at it and i bought a bunch of books yep. and i bought you memorize know, all I, the opening moves memorize, and, memorize yeah. the openings i you know i got a subscription to one of those websites where you can play you know really good players and um it was really fun. I don't regret doing it, but now I'm looking at those books right now on my shelf, <laughs> collecting dust. Um, my wife used to run a, a vinyl record collecting board forum on the internet for a long time um, because she she was into all of those like really rare like first pressings and test pressings and all that stuff of these albums that um, you know go beyond you know having European releases and stuff. This is like you know this is the first one that they made that had sound, you know, there's no label on it, just has a number on it. And this is, you know, they are are really valuable and they're really hard to find information on. So she started publishing it and then it just grew into this online community. Um, So she is not getting rid of her vinyl records. And so I'm looking at just stacks and stacks of those right now. Um, It just, I always say when I think of record collecting, the first thing that comes to mind is high fidelity. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and what what sequence do you put them in? There is you know not pressing date. It's like I'm putting it into the sequence of you know jacket color or the emotion that I felt when I listened to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I had uh, like these uh, are the angry yeah, <laughs> albums this over is my here. My angry period. Yeah. yeah, I had a friend in Brooklyn who, um, I don't, boy, I don't even know what possessed him to do this, but her her and her roommate ordered their books by color and hue, so they got a color chart. Mm-hmm. And they started arranging the books. So when you go into their apartment, it looked amazing because it would yeah. be the entire color wheel. Right. So that that's actually like a design. Yes. Like that's that's couldn't, a design element of the living space. The way. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. Every> t- <laughs> You're looking for well, hours. Do you, do you uh, subscribe to Goodreads? Like, you know, we brought up the trophy reading. And to me that like Goodreads is now something that would – really helped me with like getting away from the trophy reading. If, if that's what I like now, I just listen to audiobooks and don't, don't care I don't even what it is. Uh, it's where you can essentially like document what you've read and write things about 
what you thought about it and other people can see your collections and you can kind of like get recommendations. Oh, you like this book, this other person like this book. So, you know, maybe you'll like this other book. Yeah. It's, it's cool, but I, I don't so subscribe like to how it. We, we have our little Slack group for beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Except this is a people's. huge board with right. lots of like a lot. It, it's grown pretty dramatically over the past few years. I would say it's pretty common that people are on Goodreads if they're like a book nerd. Yeah, I'm definitely not. I don't read enough to say that I'm a book nerd. Yeah. Um, and when I do, it does vary based on whether it's technical books or nonfiction or very occasionally fiction. Um, so, it, it, yeah, and then I, I, book-wise, everything is on the Kindle. I buy everything electronic. And it does definitely beg the question what happens if they change the business model or if they get bought or whatever. Yep. Um, you won't have it. Yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Like, I guess you have to come to terms with how much will that ruin your life, if at all. Right. And uh, what does that what does that mean to you if one day they turn it off and you don't have access to it anymore? Yeah, and that is would... kind of why I prefer to get book like technical books that are available in PDF because no one can turn a PDF off. And my guess is PDF will be around when I'm dead. Yeah, but um, there's, you know, technical books also are ephemeral in some way. Yeah. Te- what is technical now will, will be, you know, I can, I don't know how many of those, you know, Windows 98, you know, power tips books I had. You never stuff. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I do know, Gabe. I know I'm not going to need them. Um, so, so back to beer again. We keep driving it back to beer. Um, what is your criteria for determining whether you're selling a beer assuming you're going to take some beer to wherever you're going which ones are going to be going with you which ones so do you pro- want to probably, keep i'll probably for- be keeping things like the um backwoods bastard bourbon county stout stuff like that because they age really really well in fact those are the ones that i would say like they're going to get better over time uh what is it i have a pajarnik um, which is a pretty rare stout that's hard to hard to come by now that will um, age great. And it, I, I would say my criteria is now, will this get better when I age it? Like, it's good now. Will it be just ridiculously amazing later? Then I might get an extra bottle or two and age them. Um, but I'm over the period of like, I just want to kind of see what happens to this brown ale when it ages. Like, yeah. I don't know what happens to a brown ale. Um, but I know that... <laughs> Like when they found old brown ale in in like basements of houses, like hundreds of years old, right? A hundred year old bottle of beer was found, I think, in New Jersey last year, um, and it was like from this brewery's long gone. And what was it like? You know, they opened it and sampled it of like what was this? What would this beer taste like? Number one, and what was beer like back then? And I do find that interesting. I don't think you'll ever know what beer was like back then because a hundred year old bottle of beer is not the, <laughs> the well, indicator yeah, I mean, of somebody, what it was like. Yeah, if somebody um, found a, a stone IPA in this house's yeah, basement. Man, they liked like, crap beer a hundred years ago. It's like wet, what do you call it? Wet old paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dirty old dirty <laughs> dirty wet paper. Um <laughs> so you know, those experiments were fun. I did them. I'm done done with that aspect of it. So I won't I won't probably age anything that isn't a barley wine or a stout, maybe a a strong Belgian, but it's so easy to get most of those beers now that I don't feel that I need to try to, to hoard them. 
Do you want to talk about what happens to carbonation? I, I mean, because I've had some beers that I've aged, and a lot of times they're flat. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. I mean, it really varies. And does it vary based on the cap type or cork or anything like that? Um, I haven't found any trend in that. Um, metal caps tend to not go bad that that easily for like losing carbonation. Most of the flat beers I've had had a cork in them. Yeah, it's the same with me. Um, and you know, again, it's the cork drying out thing. Uh, but like I have <clears throat> 120 minute dogfish had 120 minute, right? We have a friend that was just like, Oh, I just found 120 minute and they want like, I don't know what he said, 12, $12 a bottle. And I was like, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have several 120 minutes because I found them cheap somewhere and I bought several of them. And, yeah. <laughs> and dogfish head 120 minute will age well and probably actually get better. I would think so because the, 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 the sweetness is very pronounced yeah. for me with that beer. Yeah. So, and to me, that's not really, it doesn't drink like an IPA at all. I, I think people imagine like 90 minute is super bitter. So 120 minute is, you know, like 30% more bitter. Um, <laughs> it, it's not at all. Like to me, it doesn't drink like an IPA. So if I found it cheap, if I found a beer cheap, I might stock up a little bit on it. But it, it's pretty, it's getting so easy to get beer, like good beer anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and beer, like I find it interesting that everybody's like clamoring for the, like these different beers, like Bourbon County Stout or, you know, Backwoods Bastard. We recommended, I didn't go wait in line anywhere because honestly, there's some fantastic beer coming out of little breweries that no one's heard of that you could probably pick up going to a, like a relatively decent bottle shop. Yeah. And I think, um, I'm going, I'm looking at my cellar right now. What's in there. I think you're right. Like there's no, there's not a huge reason looking at this collection to do a lot of aging. Um, I'm probably going to save the two bourbon counties that I have left till next year. Um, I'm probably going to drink two of the high reses, like maybe tonight me and my wife will have them. Um, just because I'm it's See, high, year. high res doesn't come out very often either, right? Yeah, it says January release. They release so, it every January. So it's one of those things like, oh, well, I found high res. I should stock up a little bit because I may want to have it, you know, in April. <laughs> and, and and it's not just a matter of like I'm planning on aging it. I just want it at a different time in the year. I might do that, but I'm not buying it to particularly like to seller it. it. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, just want to have it later when it's not available in the store. Well, yeah. So I bought um, – I think I bought a case of it last year. It was really expensive. Wow. <laughs> but it was over the holidays and we had we were just meeting the neighbors so they would come over and we it's it's so a good you were sipping buy, beer. buying their affections. Yes, essentially. Um but it was a nice sipping beer and it was freezing cold last winter so we would have a fire and we would pour, you know, a nice glass of this super dense you know, hoppy, mm-hmm. sweet IPA. Mm-hmm. And it was a great sipping beer. I would like to suggest we have that for a future show and you send it to me. <sighs> I hate <laughs> your guts. <laughs> I think that could be arranged though because uh, that would be a good show. Man. Um, mm. mm-hmm. Actually, I'm thinking about that beer now. You know, the other... I don't, do you want to talk about the other thing, the other bottle we have sitting here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do, we'll do it on another show. It's okay. it's, noth- it's nothing nothing special. It, so so let's go back to the Lindemans then. It it I think it's actually richer as it warms up. I really like it. The uh, for me the um 
the tartness is really pronounced as it's warmed up more. Ah, it's so more of, it's it's definitely getting closer to a sour. <laughs> yep. Did, did you um uh notice that it's the the alcohol content is extremely low. It's like less than 3% for this stuff. So you could drink it all day. No, oh, I'll give it to my kid. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it's exactly it's beautiful. Pestering me anyway, so. Yeah, it put her to sleep. Nothing too, <laughs> nothing too harsh. For, for the record and for, for child services, for I do not give my child booze. Okay. Good plan. <laughs> yeah, my, I was actually, who was I telling this to the other day? You know, I didn't really, um, actually my, my wife, I didn't drink until after college. Really? Yeah, I didn't drink in college. That's probably smart. I uh, worked in the lab a lot. Um, <laughs> so you were sniffing chemicals. No, I was I was just a super nerd. Uh, but I just I, I, I wasn't I had no real um compelling reason to drink. And so to me, like it was never a, this risque thing. Like I as soon as I could get access to it, it was a big thing. I, I drank I think twice in college. Um like two yep. nights. <laughs> oh, so boy. two well, different my, nights. Yeah, my wife is not, you know, she didn't drink till she was 30, and it was, she just didn't have a compelling reason to do so. And it wasn't until I started. Until she met you and really needed a drink. <laughs> she needed a drink big time. No, I think it was because I'd be sitting here saying, oh, this has this flavor and that flavor. She loves cooking. She loves food. She loves, you know, all the kind of culinary yeah. stuff. And she's like, you know, she, she kind of felt like she was missing out on this world of flavors. And it's funny because when she started drinking it, she, the first few beers, she didn't really like that much. So she was like, well, I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't drink because I'm not missing yeah. out on anything. But then as she was trying things, you know, we would go to Victory and she'd try, you know, a tasting menu of a few different things and she started finding things she liked. Um, and now, you know, we both, it's not like we're drunks. So we just have a beer every once in a while with dinner. Yeah. Um, and it's really more about the 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 flavor, although she... She definitely thinks we have too much beer in the basement, which I can't. <laughs> I can't really argue about at this point. Uh, great way to, great, great way to end the show. You know what? <laughs> Glue each bottle to a book, and then <laughs> then tell her she's free to throw anything she wants exactly. out. Exactly, yeah, all of them to crappy science fiction <laughs> yeah. novels. They'll stay in the basement for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping my wife didn't overhear any of this show because I'm still I'm still in the process of convincing her that we don't need all these books. Like you know, I don't I don't work in chemistry that much anymore, but I have tens of thousands of dollars worth of chemistry books in my attic, and I'm just like, let's donate them to a library, do something with these books. She's like, no, 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 these are like some are rare, like really rare, like hundreds of years old German chemistry books right Mm -hmm. and she's like they're really rare we should keep them we should put them on shelves and like highlight that we have like no i don't want with those lights you know yeah like Like, i don't want to have like a a library that is filled with you know archives um of arcane chemistry knowledge mm, from germany yes that's right yeah i'm I'm a mage (laughs) you're a mage all right (laughs) Uh, well, all right, man. All right, Mage, go drink your save yeah, your glass of Francoise for your wife, but uh, drink the rest. Oh, I'm sure her glass is long gone. <laughs> it's good all stuff. Right. All right, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. See ya.